Welcome to the Mariners cast from Sports Ethos, your place for worldwide sports coverage. I'm your host, Tino Ganasius. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20 and the podcast at Ethos Mariners. We are two and a half hours away from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. The Mariners have made one trade of significance thus far in dealing Paul Sewald yesterday. On this episode of the Mariners cast, we will cover the Paul Seawall trade, uh, how this impacts the Mariners today, how it impacts the Mariners moving forward, uh, what other trades could be made, what players on the current roster may be on their way out, and then uh, look a little bit at some of the AL West trades that have happened around the Mariners. Uh, The other three teams that the Mariners are in contention with the Rangers, the Astros, the Angels have all made significant moves uh, over the last couple of days that have greatly impacted the AL West race. Um, I will give you my opinion as to what that means, again, both in the present and in the future. If any trades happen uh, while the pot is going on, we will uh, go over those as well. And then with time, we will cover yesterday's Mariners victory over the Boston Red Sox uh, what their bullpen usage said about how the Mariners view their bullpen without Paul Seawald, what usage looks like, um, what leverage looks like within that pen. And then we will quickly dive into uh, today's pitching matchup of Brian Bayo going for the Boston Red Sox against uh, the Mariners' Bryce Miller. So big Mariners cast coming your way. Trade deadline day, always a lot of fun. Um, I'm certainly glued to my computer watching uh, the Mariners every move and uh, all the moves across baseball. So the Mariners won last night. Mariners moved to 55 and 51, four games over 500. The Mariners sit five games behind the Texas Rangers, uh, three and a half games back in the wild card race. Mariners are seven and three in their last 10 and have a plus 40 run differential. One other number of note with regards to the Mariners record, the Mariners tied the Baltimore Orioles for the best record in baseball in July with a 17 and nine record, good for a 60 or a 654 winning percentage. I've seen this number quoted by a number of Mariners fans um, and folks on Twitter as to why the Mariners should be buyers and not sellers at this deadline. Uh, Yeah. Mariners have been hot winning 17 out of the last 26. Absolutely. I think that says that at minimum, the Mariners should not be sellers, but I'm a big proponent of zigging when other folks are zagging, um, trying to go against the grain and what we've seen thus far out of the American League West competition is that the Rangers, the Angels, and the Astros, for varying various reasons, are all in on making the playoffs this season. The, the Angels kicked it off in trading um, Edgar Caro and Kai Bush to the Chicago White Sox a few days ago for Lucas Giolito and Reynaldo Lopez. Uh, Caro was their number one prospect uh bat first catcher probably two years away 
Kai Bush, left-handed starting pro- pitching prospect, probably their best starting pitching prospect, but um, Bush slotted in, in my mind, as a back-of-the-rotation starter, but still value with your number one prospect, bat first catcher, and a starting pitching prospect for a rental in Lucas Giolito and a uh, relief pitcher who has not been very successful but has a 100-mile-an-hour fastball in Ronaldo Lopez. Um, the Angels turned around and traded for Randall Grichik and C.J. Cron from the Colorado Rockies. Uh, they did not give up much um, to get those two, a couple of minor leaguers, um, not really of note. Grichik uh, will slot in in kind of that Taylor Ward, Hunter Renfro, uh, right-handed hitting corner outfield type of role, uh, could play center in a pinch, has hit for power over the years, um, I would say is about a league average offensive player, maybe slightly above at times. And then CJ Cron, uh, I chronicled when we were talking about Mariners uh, trade prospects or targets and talked about how Cron is about 300 points better, 250 points better OPS in Colorado versus away. Um, Those are players that would not have moved the needle for me if the Mariners would have traded for them. They are depth with the Angels. They will play. I don't see Grichik or Kron getting them over the top. I think that the Grichik and Kron moves were uh, more symbolic towards uh, Shohei Otani. And the Giolito and Lopez moves were moves that really could move the needle for the Angels. I should say that each of the three teams, Angels, Rangers, and Astros, are all motivated to make the playoffs, but I believe for different reasons. The Angels uh, are almost solely in trying to impress Shohei Otani enough to keep him in in Anaheim. Um, This is an Otani push 100%, uh, and they're doing it four and a half games out. So they're in a similar position to the Mariners with less pitching, and yet um, they are all in. The Texas Rangers have traded in the past couple of days for number one starter Max Scherzer with the New York Mets, and then for left-handed starter Jordan Montgomery and relief pitcher Chris Stratton with the St. Louis Cardinals. The Rangers gave up their what I believe is their number two prospect in Luis Angel Acuna. Uh, yes, he is Ronald Acuna's brother, uh, shortstop, second-base prospect, very, very good hitter, could play center field down the road, potentially, and then gave up um, Takoa Roby, left-handed starting pitching prospect, and um, and a couple of other minor leaguers. Uh, Acuna is the one big piece that they gave up uh, in acquiring these three players. Uh, Scherzer, obviously, is an expensive player. They added payroll, but Scherzer and Montgomery very much slot into the rotation immediately. Scherzer's their number one. I'd say Montgomery slots in towards the middle, probably two, three, four area, but makes the Rangers a lot more threatening and a lot deeper uh, starting pitching wise. I had talked previously about how Eovaldi and John Gray uh, are formidable starters, but that their starting pitching was their weakness when you compare them to the Mariners and also to the Astros. In acquiring Scherzer and Montgomery, that is not the case anymore. So the Rangers are for real. They really did boost their pitching a ton. Their window is wide open right now to compete. Um, They've got uh, Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, obviously, 
Adolis Garcia, Nathaniel Lowe, they're all kind of in their prime. And now was the time for them to go all in. Uh, the Rangers are going to be a tough, tough, tough team to overcome in the American League West with that level of pitching. I like those moves a lot for them. Um, I think giving up Acuna was not a huge price to pay to acquire Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer opted in for 2024, so they acquired a year and a half of Scherzer. He's not quite peak Scherzer, but he is very close, and I still regard him as a top 15, top 20 starter in baseball. So Mm -hmm. Rangers did, in a lot of ways, what the Mariners did in acquiring Luis Castillo last season. Um, I think Scherzer is going to give them a boost and really does. Scherzer and Montgomery make their uh, starting pitching very, very, very tough. Houston Astros, about 20 minutes ago, about 30 minutes ago, gave up their, what I consider to be their number one and number two prospects in their system for Justin Verlander. They made the trade with the Mets, reacquiring Justin Verlander. They gave up Drew Gilbert, their first round pick last season out of Tennessee, a hard hitting outfielder, tough competitor, tough dude will hit at the top of the lineup. Um, I like him a lot as a prospect. And Ryan Clifford, uh, power-hitting first-base prospect. Uh, they were number one and four, respectively, ranked by Pipeline. Again, they were my one and two. Clifford was very much on the rise. I think it's a big price to pay for Justin Verlander by the Astros, but they deemed this trade necessary for them. Uh, sets the Astros up just like it does the Rangers. Astros are half game out. Um, gives them Verland- Verlander back along with Framber. Christian Valdez or Christian Javier, they've got a tough, tough, tough um, pitching rotation. The Astros do. So Mariners competitors definitely were buyers. Uh, The Angels tried to go all in. They got more quantity. They got bats. They got the lesser of the four starting pitchers that were acquired or the least of the four starting pitchers that were acquired um, in the AL West. But all three teams are all in. This should be a lot of fun. Uh, the Mariners, on the other hand, made a trade that I think is seen as threading the needle in trading uh, away Paul Seawald, their closer, beloved closer Paul Seawald, for three players uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. These three players are Do- Dominic Canzoni who is a corner outfield first base type left-handed bat. Uh, Kenzoni is 26 years old. We will uh, dig deeper into him in a moment. Ryan Bliss, 23-year-old middle infield prospect, uh, the second round pick of the Diamondbacks in the 2021 draft. And uh, Josh Rojas, who has been a regular for the Diamondbacks the past two seasons, got uh, 500 plus plate appearances in both seasons. Left-handed bat, second base, shortstop, third base, can play some corner outfield as well. So the Mariners got depth. The Mariners acquired three bats who you could see all three on the major league team next season. I think, uh, I assume Canzoni and uh, and Rojas are immediately on the major league roster. Bliss uh, was in AAA for Arizona. I believe he will report to AAA for the Mariners, AAA Tacoma for the Mariners as well. Bliss, to me, was the biggest piece that they acquired. I like him a lot. Pipeline immediately slotted 
Ken Zoni as the number 13 prospect in the Mariners system and Bliss as the number 14 prospect in the Mariners system. All right, so Dominic Canzoni, listed by Fangraphs as 6'1", 190. Pipeline has him at 5'11". He's almost 26 years old. He was an eighth-round pick of the Diamondbacks in 2019 out of Ohio State. Uh, Canzoni, all he's really done since he has uh, was drafted by the Diamondbacks is hit. In 21, in double-A, he hit three fifty four. The 592 slug. Uh, last season, majority of his at bats came in AAA for Arizona. Of course, uh, their AAA affiliate, Reno, is a notorious uh, hitter's park. But he hit 284, 349, 489 with 16 homers and 14 steals. This season in AAA, in 304 plate appearances, he had 16 homers, two steals, but he was hitting 354 with a 634 slug which is why Arizona brought him up. Uh, I view him as a 55 hit, 55 power, 50 speed, 45 field. He has a bit of a hitch in his swing, but he is a good hitter. Um, He, you know, you think about a player like Cade Marlowe, who is power speed and a good defender in the corner. I think Canzoni is less of a fielder and has less speed than Marlowe does, but probably ultimately hits for a little more power and has a much better hit tool. So Kenzoni and Marlowe, I believe if the Mariners don't sign a left-handed outfield bat in the offseason, will compete um, for either starting time in one of the corners or that fourth outfield spot if the Mariners were to sign for or, or sign or trade for a right-handed um, bat like a Tailscar Hernandez. So Kenzoni fits in that Cade Marlowe type uh, role. I also think that uh, if Mike Ford is, isn't is with the Mariners next season or Mike Ford was to go down um, to injury, that Kenzoni would play that role as well as the uh, left-handed hitting first baseman potentially off, off the bench or giving Ty France an opportunity to rest I like it a lot. I think Canzoni is the type of player that um, that championship major league teams have as a bench piece. I think he has the potential to become a starter if he can take another step. He is 26 years old. They acquired a player in his prime, um, in his physical prime. So he is a wait and see for me, but I like the acquisition. Ryan Bliss is only 5'6". He is the second base shortstop prospect that the Mariners acquired. Uh, saw him at the Futures game. He's a lot of fun. 5'6", 165. He's 23 years old. He is a right-handed hitter. He was the 42nd overall pick by the Diamondbacks in the 21 draft. He grew up in Georgia, played his college baseball at Auburn. Um, prior to this season, he hadn't played particularly well in the minor leagues. He hadn't hit particularly well. He stole a lot of bases. He had 31 steals last year and 10 home runs in high A. Uh, but he only hit 214. This season in double A, Bliss in 324 plate appearances had 12 home runs, 30 stolen bases, and was hitting 358, 414 with a 594 slug. Now his Babbitt was 408. So, you know, he looks to me like a probably a true 
260-ish hitter, 270 maybe. Um, but he has a little bit of power in the bat, and he certainly steals bases. Um, so if he can play a slightly above average second base and be a low teens home run, you know, 20 stolen base type of type of player for the Mariners, probably hit lower in the lineup. I think that is a very valuable piece. We've seen that if you take for granted that type of production at second base, as the Mariners kind of did in uh, trading for Colton Wong, that or uh, having uh, Adam Frazier on the roster last season, you can take that for granted in a veteran and not get it. And it, it is a to a huge detriment to the team um, when you don't get it. So while the numbers don't pop off the page, say it's 10 home runs and 20 steals and a 255, 260 average with slightly above average defense at second, well, that doesn't jump off the page. It is a piece of a championship team. And I like Bliss a lot. I also think that if he does not become the second base starter, that he could be a very nice bat um, and glove, utility glove off the bench, playing second short and potentially a little bit of center or left field for the Mariners. Um, I think he'll be given the shot to win the full-time second base job in 24. Uh, Cole Young, Colt Emerson, Michael Arroyo, Axel Sanchez, Felden Celestin, they're all years away. The oldest of that group is Arroyo or is, is Sanchez at 20. Um, I think all of those guys are set to start to uh, threaten for a roster spot more in 25 and 26. So Ryan Bliss will be given a couple of years uh, to mature into the position. I have him as 50 hit, 50 power, 60 speed, and a 55 field if the Mariners decide that he is a second baseman, probably closer to a 50 if he's a shortstop. But I like Bliss a lot. I think he is the uh, the best player that the Mariners acquired um, and the most important player that the Mariners acquired in this trade. Josh Rojas is the third piece. He's the piece that a lot of folks have talked about the most because he is known and he's a major leaguer. I think he was the least important piece that the Mariners acquired in this trade. He's 29, 6'1", 207. He's a free agent in 2027. He bats left-handed. This season, he's only hitting 228 with a 292 on-base percentage in 2000, or 216 plate appearances. He does have in he is in the 70th percentile and outs above average, according to baseball savant. Uh the past two seasons have been very similar for uh Rojas 21 and 22, hitting in the 260s on base percentage in the 340s, around 10 home runs, about a 10.5% walk rate. Um, if he was able to produce that, that's not a bad player. And he can play second, short, third, and outfield. Um, I don't think he has any upside left. He is 29 years old. But if he can even provide uh, something close to what he's done in 21 and 22 for the Mariners, he would be a huge upgrade over what the Mariners have at second base in Colton Wong currently. Um, I think he probably replaces Wong on this roster. I think Wong will be DFA'd. Uh, before tonight's game or before Rojas joins the team. Uh, I expect, I expect Kenzoni to be on the team. I don't know what that roster move will be. And again, I expect bliss to be uh, slotted in at triple a as the starting second baseman. So Mariners make this trade. 
They deal Paul Seawald. They get these three hitters back. The other three competitors in the American League West have made much, much splashier moves um, in terms of acquiring bigger names. It's... I like it. Like I said earlier, I think when teams zig, oftentimes you zag. That's what I feel like the Mariners are doing here. Could the Mariners have given up their number one and two prospects for a big name, right? The equivalent of a Luis Angel Acuna, the equivalent of an Edgar Caro, the equivalent of a Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Could the Mariners have done that? Yeah, absolutely. Could they have traded Harry Ford and Cole Young for someone? Harry Ford and Cole Young is close to Drew Gilbert and Ryan Clifford. Could they have gotten Verlander for that? Yes. Um, Verlander makes any team better. Mariners obviously are not, we're not searching for an ace. Um, could they have acquired a Randall Gritchick? Yeah. I, I don't think Gritchick moves the needle for me on this team. Um, but Yes, they could have done something like that. I, for one, really like the one move that they've made so far. I've said it time and again. The Mariners print relievers. They print effective relievers. There are so many um, good arms in the Mariners system, and they're able to teach pitching. And if you have that ability you deal from that depth, you deal from that ability to get the things that you can't produce, right? And so trading a bullpen arm, and no matter how much you love Paul Seawald, he's still a bullpen arm. And, you know, the debate raged about whether Mariano Rivera was a um, first ballot Hall of Famer and 100% unanimous Hall of Famer because relievers just aren't worth as much as starters and as um hitters they're just not you know for all uh all that we love of paul seawald he in 21 was worth 1.4 fan graph wins he was worth 0.5 war um in 22 and he was worth one war so far for the mariners in 23 that's not that's not a ton right that's 1.4 war, Fangraph's war, is the most that Paul Seawald has been worth to the Mariners in a full season. George Kirby so far this season has been worth 3.1 Fangraph's war. Gilbert, 2.5. Castillo, 2.4. Even Matt Brash, according to Fangraph's, has been worth 1.5 war to the Mariners so far this season. So Matt Brash, so far in 2023, according to Fangraph's, has been worth more than Paul Seawald's most productive season. Julio Rodriguez, 3.2 war, right? So when you start to look at it in those terms, how important truly was Paul Seawald, the next year and a half of Paul Seawald? I would say if you get your starting second baseman for the next three years, a very good left-handed bat with the potential to start and a replacement for Colton Wong, in that one trade for that one reliever, that has only been worth at most 1.4 war in one season, that's a great deal. Not a good deal. That's a great deal. That's a smart move by the Mariners. 
Mariners are not mortgaging their farm system. The Mariners are not mortgaging their youth. The Mariners are staying on the path of building a playoff contender for years and years to come. Is it the splashy move? No. Is it, are the Mariners going to be in the headlines of the trade deadline? No. But that's not why I'm a fan, right? That's not why you're a fan. We follow the Mariners. We follow baseball to see championships. You follow the Mariners because you want to see them get that that ring. You follow the Mariners because you want that team to be in the playoffs year after year after year after year after year. The way the Rangers are going about it, they're not going to be in the playoffs for the next 10 years. They're playing for the right now. They're going to be paying Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon four years from now a boatload of money for an older player who's not producing. The Angels are mortgaging everything just to re-sign Shohei Otani. They've got a bad farm system. It was bad before they traded Edgar Carroll. Now it's terrible. And the Astros are are smart, and I think they will be smart for time to come, but they, their farm system is also bad, and they know it. So the Mariners are the team that's ascending. The Mariners need to stay the path. I think it's super smart, this trade that they made. The more I look at it, the more I like it. And I'll say, just because as a fan, you don't recognize the names that they traded for, the way that a lot of folks on Twitter did when they reacted to the haul that the Mariners were getting back, tons of people on Twitter were saying, Mariners got, you know, what are the Mariners doing? Why are we selling? Who are those names? Look at their averages. That's not what this is about. It's not just because you don't recognize the name that they traded for, that you don't know Dominic Canzoni outside of the series they just had in Arizona. You don't know Ryan Bliss, but you recognize Josh Rojas and you know that he was in the minors earlier this year. Does not mean it's a bad trade. Dig a little bit. See that Ryan Bliss was the 42nd overall pick in the 21 draft. See that he's going to play an above average second base defensively, that he has power, that he has speed. Josh Rojas is an upgrade over Colton Wong right now. I I think it was incredibly smart. I like the trade. Um, I do hope that there's another trade up their sleeve, that they do something else before um, this trade deadline is over. Teo Hernandez has been um, rumored to go a lot of different places. The Blue Jays, the Phillies, the Giants were all among the teams that reported to have interest in Teo. Um, I don't know what that return is, given the fact that he is a free agent at the end of the season. I would like to see the Mariners keep him. I think that he's got better days ahead of him. Um, Again, I've said it. He's the type of bat that can carry the team for long stretches. And I think the Mariners can, you know, should bank on that happening. He's played an above average right field this season. Unless you're getting back something like what they got back from the Diamondbacks, which is depth with some opportunity for um, a little players who have been unrecognized or underrated becoming better. I don't know if this is a deal that, or a player that I would want to see the Mariners trade. Ty France, on the other hand, I would love to see the Mariners trade. I think he's struggled. Um, the Mariners have, they can piece together that first base position against left-handed pitching. Um, the Mariners have a couple of guys in the minor leagues who could do that. Uh, 
but Ty France has just been, he's been bad. He's been a below average. Um, he's been a below average offensive first baseman for the Mariners for a number of years now. And uh, he's been even worse this season. Um, if the Mariners were to trade Ty France, I think you would see Jake Shiner on the major league roster. He's 28 years old, right-handed hitting corner infielder in AAA. He's played very well this season um, in AAA. I think you would see them give a player like that a shot to play uh, first base. He has 25 home runs this season in AAA, sitting 269, 391, 547. Um, you mean to tell me that player at 27 years old, you couldn't bring up and, and he could play hit at least as well as Ty France has this season? At least he'd have some power. Um you could also play, you know, if you had to, you could play Rojas or Suarez at first base and one of them at third. Um, I don't think you mess with Suarez. His defense has been phenomenal at third base, but there are ways to patch together that first base position. Dylan Moore could play a little bit of first. You've seen Caballero take a couple of reps over there. Um, Dominic Canzoni, obviously, Mike Ford. So I could see Ty France being moved. I don't know what you would get back. I think it would be addition by subtraction. The names like Brian Wu, Logan Gilbert, I don't think you'll see the Mariners trade. Um, I am glad that the Mariners didn't bite on dealing any of that uh, starting pitching. I think that's smart. The deadline's not over yet, but that's what I would expect to see is is for them to hold on the pitching. Um, although Brian Wu very clearly has work to do against left-handed hitters. Then you've got the minor leagues. Uh, Jonathan Classe. Emerson Hancock, Harry Ford. Um, Class A is a bit of a pop-up in that this season has been his by far his best season. I don't know what his value is on the market. Um, I'd also like to see them give him a shot in 24 in the corner. Uh, Harry Ford is a unique prospect. If they were to trade him, I think they would have to get something really big back in return. And then Emerson Hancock has become much more valuable to the Mariners as Marco Gonzalez and Robbie Ray go down to injury. Uh, I believe he is the replacement for Brian Wu when Wu hits that innings limit. Um, Hancock won't be the number two starter that they thought he could be when they drafted him in the first round, but I do think he will give the Mariners quality innings towards the end of this season. So really the trade candidates out of um, the Mariners cur current organization is the candidates are Ty France and uh, Teoscar Hernandez. I should add Tom Murphy is, uh, a free agent at the end of the year, but he's hitting too well as the short side platoon catcher and playing too well for the Mariners to uh, to trade, I believe. So who do you trade for, right? If the Mariners were to really go out and find someone, um, we've talked a bit about some of the players. that I, Tommy Pham is one that I think would fit incredibly well for the Mariners. I would love to see the Mariners deal for Fam. If you had to give up a Class A for a player like Tommy Fam, um, I think that's more than what what teams are offering currently. But uh, maybe a, a prospect just a, a half notch below a Jonathan Class A. But Tommy Fam would be a very nice fit, I think, on this Mariners team um, as a right-handed bat, corner outfielder, DH type. But, you know, you go over the names of the bats that have been traded for at this deadline by other teams, and they were names that we had talked about on the podcast. 
that the Mariners may target, but none of these move the needle for the Mariners. None of these take the Mariners from being a league average offense to a top 10 offense. Paul DeYoung goes to Toronto in a trade basically to um, to put a finger in the in the leaking dam with Bo Bichette's injury. Mariners had been rumored to be in on Paul DeYoung. The, uh, the Blue Jays didn't give up much for him. And, you know, the rumor for DeYoung was a much, much uh, bigger return than Matt Swanson, who was the right-handed uh, minor league pitcher that Toronto gave up to get him. Um, he's a 24-year-old, 13, 13th round selection out of Lehigh in 21. Um, that's virtually nothing that they gave up for him. I still don't think De Jong would have been much of an upgrade for the Mariners. Um, G-Man Choi was traded from the Pirates. Uh, G-Man Choi is basically Mike Ford. He's a lesser version of Mike Ford. He was traded along with Rich Hill from uh, the Pirates to the Padres. Doesn't move the needle for me. John Candelario has has played very well this season. Um, I don't. I think he is a league average hitting third baseman. Um, you could make the case that he and Suarez are of very similar value. Candelario is a better hitter. Uh, Suarez hits for more power. Suarez is a better fielder. Candelario could have slotted in potentially at first base, but he is a Ty France type of hitter, right? He doesn't hit for a ton of power, some power, not a ton. Um, slightly above average hit tool. So it doesn't move the needle for me. Mark Kana, the corner outfielder for that did play for the Mets. He's traded to the Brewers. Um, good on base guy. Uh, Certainly a veteran major leaguer, but not a good, not a, an above average one, right? And so, and certainly not the player of Teoscar Hernandez. So he doesn't move the needle for me. CJ Cron, I talked about, he is a Colorado Rockies Coors Field special. Randall Gritchett hits for power, um, slightly above average WRC plus, I'm going to assume over uh, the rest of the season but not a player that plays a position of need for the Mariners, right? The Mariners have Tailscar. They have hopefully Kelnick coming back. Cade Marlowe's played well. Canzoni's on the roster. Mike Ford takes up the DH at bats. Grichik is not a player that I think um, would help the Mar- Mariners tremendously. He has a 119 WRC plus this season. He's seen 307, 363, 504, but that is propped up by a 363 BABIP. And he has nine home runs. In the previous two seasons, he's had WRC pluses of 85 and 88. So, and he's been about a 250 hitter with less than a 300 on base percentage. So Randall Grichik, his stats look pretty this season. Um, Overall, as a player, I don't even know that you can call him a league average bat. Nicky Lopez, light hitting second base shortstop um, that played for uh, the Kansas City Royals. Not of huge value in my mind. He goes to the Braves, more of a utility guy. Carlos Santana was traded from the Pirates to the Brewers. Um, He played a tremendous role in the Mariners clubhouse last season. I would have liked to have seen them reacquire him. But, you know, what, you're going to have France, Ford, and Santana on this team? 
I think that if Santana was on this team, France would go. Um, would have liked to have seen him, but it's more for clubhouse reasons, not production. Ahmed Rosario, we talked about as a trade candidate, but a sub 700 OPS um, at shortstop. And I think you would have played probably Rosario at second and kept J.P. Crawford at short. Uh, is he a major leaguer? Yes. Is he fast? Yep. Does he walk? Absolutely doesn't walk. Everything he does offensively is predicated on keeping a high average. Um, not my favorite player. I don't think he makes the Mariners better. And Kike Hernandez was traded from Boston to L.A. He also does not make the Mariners offense better. So the types of bats that have been acquired at this deadline – are not the kinds of bats that are going to move the needle for the Mariners. We haven't seen a single bat move that has I, where I've said, man, I wish the Mariners would have traded for that guy. Not yet, at least. So we'll see what happens in the next two hours. But as, uh, up to this point in time, I don't see it. And I'm glad that the Mariners are um, standing pat as of right now. So that's the deadline so far, unless we see something else come across uh, come across the wire in the next, you know, couple of minutes while we're on the Mariners cast. Uh, I like what the Mariners have done. I think the Mariners know that their offense has underperformed up to this point in time. There is still potential for them to get better, but you don't trade away all your assets because other teams do. I think that the Mariners if they're planning for 24, 25, 26, are in the best position of any team in the American League West to be atop the American League West for the next couple of years. I think it's smart. Um, I like it. I know a lot of fans out there do not. Um, I've said this before. I, I think Jerry DePoto is pretty brilliant, and I like the Mariners' approach uh, to this deadline. So the Mariners last night, one six two over the Boston Red Sox. Um, it was a one one game heading into uh, the bottom of the seventh. Cal Raleigh hit his second solo home run in the bottom of the seventh. Mariners took a two one lead. Um, they added four in the eighth to make it six one, and then eventually won six two. Uh, George Kirby went only went five innings. He threw ninety seven pitches in five innings, but only gave up four hits, one run, two walks. Seven strikeouts. Uh, he got a no decision. ERA is now at 3-4-3. The high pitch count, I think, is um, due, was due in part to uh, um, some misplayed defense, uh, particularly Tom Murphy uh, not catching a pop-up that he should have um, that caused George Kirby to throw a lot more pitches. But it's also because he's striking more hitters out and he was pitching more to contact uh, earlier in the season. And so when you're pitching to contact, you're trying to get deep into games. You're trying to get hitters to hit, you know, the first, second, third pitch of the at-bat. Now he's chasing some more strikeouts. And so he's not, he may not go deep as deep into games, but I think he is a better pitcher for it. Um, he's replaced the changeup that he threw earlier in the season with the splitter. Uh he in this game, the splitter got uh, two whiffs on five swings for a forty percent whiff rate. He threw eleven splitters. Uh, the whiff rate on the splitter for the year is also forty percent. It's by far the highest whiff percentage on any of his pitches. He's thrown sixty-eight split fingers this season. 
65 of them to left-handers, three of them to right-handers. So very clearly, this is a pitch that he is throwing to try to neutralize left-handed hitters. He's thrown 51 change-ups, and 49 of them have been to left-handed hitters, but he has not thrown change-ups in um, recent games. And so, again, very clearly, the splitter has replaced that change-up. His velocity was up almost a mile an hour on uh, on the four-seamer in this game to almost 97 average. He threw the sinker 22% of the time. He averaged 96 on the sinker and then slider 15% of the time. But he looked good. And that splitter really does change um, what the hitter sees because it's a pitch that you can't necessarily control in the zone. And so you're forcing George Kirby to throw something out of the zone and you're forcing George Kirby to give the hitter another look. Hitters are a lot less comfortable when he's throwing that splitter. So I love the pitch. I love the Mariners um, tinkering with his approach. I think it very it's very smart. We may not see him throw deep into games as we did earlier um, as often, but I do think he is a more effective pitcher with that splitter. Uh, offensively, like I said, this was pretty much about Cal Raleigh, two solo home runs, one was to one answered the uh, Red Sox run in the first inning to make the game one one. The other was to take the lead in the seventh. Both were off of Nick Pavetta, and then the Mariners got a clutch hit from Julio Rodriguez in the eighth. Uh, he drove in two on a single to right field. Um, people talk about Julio not being clutch, but they won't bring up that base hit. And then J.P. Crawford had a f- absolutely phenomenal catch at the end of um, the game to end the game. Uh, in the ninth inning, it was uh, I believe it was uh, Matsutaka Yoshida that hit the hit the ball straight up the middle. Isaiah Campbell basically ducked, and Crawford just absolutely sprawled out to make the catch. Um, on this batted ball by Yoshida. He hit it at 103.5 miles an hour, and it had an expected batting average, according to Baseball Savant, of 690. Uh, If you haven't seen it, go look. It was an incredible catch by J.P. Crawford to end the game. Um, It reminded me, though, of the Jim Edmonds uh, catch where he was heading back directly towards the wall in center field and dove straight back. It's a catch you see all over highlight films, but I always used to joke that the reason why uh, the catch looked so spectacular was that uh, Jim Edmonds didn't have the range that everybody thought he did, and so he had to dive at everything. Uh, that's what I thought of when I saw the J.P. Crawford catch because I know that he's his defense has really deteriorated, but nevertheless, it was a, a beautiful catch um, and in some ways a game changer uh, or a game saver for the Mariners. So... Of interest in this game, outside of the victory and George Kirby's splitter, to me, was how the Mariners and Scott Service chose to use the bullpen without Paul Seawald available. So, game's tied 1-1. George Kirby comes out after five. Uh, The Mariners brought in Gabe Spire, the left-handed reliever, uh, probably their higher leverage left-handed reliever, to pitch in the sixth. So Spire in the sixth, not uh, not a big change from what they've done previously. Matt Brash pitched the seventh, was brought in a tie game in the seventh. 
uh, Brash, there were some questions as to whether he would be um, able to withstand those high leverage situations uh, earlier in the season. I think that question has been answered um, both by Matt Brash and by the Mariners and their willingness to use him in those situations. Now he came in the seventh. Then in the eighth, Taylor Saucedo, the other lefty in the bullpen, was brought in to face uh, Yoshida Endeavors. He uh, got Yoshida out, but then Devers got on base. And so now the Mariners were faced with a um, first and second with two outs in the eighth uh, situation. And I was interested to see if uh, Scott Service would stick with Saucedo or whether he would go to Andres Munoz in this high leverage situation with the game Um with the game uh, 2-1 Mariners. And interestingly, they went to, uh, they went to Munoz. And I think it was the right move to make. Um, Munoz ended up getting uh, Verdugo to strike out. Uh, If the game remained 2-1, I believe Munoz probably would have pitched the ninth as well to go one in the third innings. Um, but because the Mariners went up 6-1, uh, they were able to bring in Isaiah Campbell to finish out that ninth inning. What does this mean? I think it means that Munoz is the closer for the Mariners now, but not with the capital C in the way that Paul Seawald was. Um, I expect to see Andres Munoz in the highest leverage situations. But if that means it's the eighth inning, that's when you'll see him and you may not see him finish out the ninth. You know, Munoz is a two-time Tommy John surgery guy. You have to baby him a little bit. He throws 102 miles an hour. So Munoz going more than an inning is not always going to be good for him. Munoz going three games in a row is not always the best decision for the Mariners. And so if you are going to use him in those high leverage eighth inning situations or even seventh inning at times, um, you are going to have to bring in somebody else to to pitch the ninth. And so when the Mariners were using Seawald in the eighth, they could bring Munoz in as that guy in the ninth. Now that you don't have Munoz to be that, that uh, pitcher to, to follow the high leverage guy, what are you going to do? Right. It's not, nearly as set in stone as it was when Seawald was here. I think the Mariners will use a combination of Matt Brash, Justin Topa, and Gabe Spire in that traditional eighth inning um, situation. Brash and Topa are so different in that Brash is, you know, 98 mile an hour fastball, huge slider, um, incredible stuff strikeout pitcher, whereas Topa is sinker slider, um, pitch to contact at times. Uh, You'll see Topa come in to get ground balls. You'll see Brash come in to get strikeouts. And I think um, Scott Service will mix and match based on uh, the opposing team, the types of hitters on the opposing team and the situation. And that Spire will be the higher leverage lefty and Saucedo will be the lower leverage lefty. Um, But that Andres Munoz will be in the highest leverage situations. Then you have the other three slots, which are currently occupied by Isaiah Campbell, Juan Ten, and Devin Sweet, as um, those lower leverage, long relief, mop up type of pitchers, uh, like Campbell coming in with the six one lead. But I, it was pretty clear to me 
based on one game, what the Mariners reliever roles will be moving forward. Um, the only changes I would expect to see is maybe a pre-launder Baroa take one of those three spots that I just spoke of with sweet um, 10 and uh, Isaiah Campbell. But that said, um, pretty clear to me, again, what the roles are. Uh, the bullpen still is very deep. The bullpen still has a lot of hard throwers. Um, is it as great of a bullpen as it was with Paul Seawald? Uh, no, it's not. And um, you can't really make the argument that it is. But to add the three bats that they did in that trade, I think was brilliant. And uh, I would have done it. If it was up to me, I would have done the same thing. Um, finally, uh, tonight's game. Second game of the three-game series is uh, Brian Bayo, 24-year-old right-hander, going for the Red Sox against Bryce Miller. Uh, Bayo and Miller are rookies. Both are 24 years old. Both are in that 6'1", 6'2 range. Both are about 180, 170, 180 pounds. Um, and both have performed very well for uh, their respective teams. Bayo is 7-6. and six. He has a 3.66 ERA, a 1-2-1 whip. 96 innings, 90 hits, 26 walks, 82 strikeouts. He is very much a ground ball pitcher, 56.4% ground ball rate so far this season, coupled with an 11.2% swinging strike rate. Uh, lefties hit him much, much better than righties do. Lefties are 278 with a 506 slug so far this season. Righties 213 with a 335 slug so far this season. Whiff rate is slightly above average at 25.3%. I found it interesting that the top two comps based on velocity and movement, according to Savant, are Luis Castillo 2022 and Luis Castillo 2023. Those are the top two comps from Brian Bayo based on velocity and movement. He leads with the sinker at 35%, 95 miles an hour. Uh, he throws his changeup, which is probably his best pitch, 24% of the time at 87 miles an hour. That changeup is surrendering a 170 average, 227 slug, and a 44% whiff rate. Uh, he throws the four-seamer 22% of the time at 96 miles an hour and then mixes in a slider at 18% at 85. Um, tough pitcher. Uh, sinker is a very good pitch. Changeup is obviously uh, his best pitch. He is primarily fastball changeup to left-handed hitters, and he throws his sinker um, almost or more than twice as much as his slider, which is the second highest usage pitch against right-handers. So he's very heavy sinker against right-handers, trying to jam them. Uh, Bayo is fun. I think Bayo is, over time, will prove to be a number two, number three type for the Red Sox. He was their top pitching prospect for quite a while. Uh, Bryce Miller is now seven and three with a three nine six ERA in a one zero zero WHIP, sixty hits in seventy five innings, fifteen walks, seventy one strikeouts. Uh, he has a thirty one point seven percent ground ball rate. So you compare that to Bayo. Miller is a fly ball pitcher. Bayo is a ground ball pitcher. Versus lefties. Um, lefties are hitting 246 with a 460 slug against Miller. Righties are hitting 188 with a 338 slug against Miller. He is still 66% fastball at 95 miles an hour, 21% uh, slider at 87, 
and then six and five percent sweeper and changeup. So primarily fastball slider. Uh, you saw him mix in other pitches a little bit more um, this last game. I think we'll continue to see him try to mix in the sweeper and the changeup along with more sliders moving forward. Uh, so that's the matchup tonight. Brian Bayo against Bryce Miller. Uh, should be a lot of fun. I love watching Bryce Miller pitch. I think he is my favorite Mariners starter at this point in time. Um, part of it might be the swag. Part of it is just that the spin on that fastball is incredible. So big, big, big next hour and a half uh, to determine what happens in the American League West and what happens with the Mariners. I will be watching uh, if I need to. If the Mariners do make a trade, I will be back tonight with a trade deadline recap. Um, if the Mariners make another uh, substantial or significant trade between now and the three o'clock deadline. But if it stays the same, the Rangers made big moves. The Astros made a big move. The Angels made big moves. The Mariners made a move that is impactful to the team, but not nearly as large in significance. Um, but I love it. I think it's smart. I want the Mariners to stay the course. Um, we Mariners have been building for a long time to get to this point. And uh, I don't think you change course now just because the other teams have gotten impatient or are trying to re-sign their superstar. Um, do I expect the Mariners to make the playoffs? I'm not as confident as I was at the All-Star break. They do still have a shot, but this is the right thing to do, um, whether fans in the immediate, immediate moment like it or not. If the Mariners don't make a trade between now and the deadline, I will be back tomorrow to recap the deadline, uh, to recap tonight's game against the Red Sox, and to talk about what we should expect moving forward. If there is a trade, I will be back later tonight. This was today's uh, Tuesday, August 1st Mariners cast. Once again, we are presented by Sports Ethos. You can find me on Twitter at TinoJr20. That's T-I-N-O-J-R-2-0. And the podcast at Ethos Mariners. E-T-H-O-S-M-A-R-I-N-E-R-S. Take care, y'all. Enjoy the next hour and a half of this trade deadline. It's exciting times for those Mariners fans out there. Peace.